All right, guys, I'm excited about this series here because, honestly, I'm going to just tell you that if you will, if you will listen to this over the next, we're going to be in this for the next probably, uh, after today, probably two or three weeks, at least two weeks more, maybe three weeks more. But I promise you that if you will listen to this, I mean, this is just as simple as receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You acknowledge that the Son of God came, that he was the Son of God, that the Scripture says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that we'll be saved. That, that's just that's one principle, but there are thousands of principles in the Bible. And it's just like, I think a lot of us, we get saved and we just stop right there. I'm saved, okay, cool, I'm, I'm saved. But I, I just want to tell you that if you'll take this Word of God, the Word that we're going to talk about today, it will absolutely change your life. It did mine and Nina's. I mean, it was some 40-some-odd years ago uh, after we got married. How many years was it? Uh, <laughs> no, seriously. But uh, some 40-some-odd years ago, you know, I, we, bought, we bought a house and 44. Uh, we, we bought a house, and I tell you what, those house payments started coming and I, I'm, I, honestly, I was worried. I couldn't sleep at night. I was thinking about it. I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about debt that we had. Where are we going to be able to make it at the end of the month? Where are all the bills going to get paid? I mean, how many of you have ever been like that? You're just worried about money. You've got financial worries. You know, I know the rest of you don't want to admit it, but you've been there. You've been there. So chapter 5 of Nehemiah. Let me just give you a little background on Nehemiah, and we'll just you know, plow into this. Nehemiah. Remember in chapter 1 of Nehemiah, the Jews had been taken captive by the Babylonians, and Nehemiah was the cupbearer to Artaxerxes the king. And he just served the king wine. What that really meant is that he got to taste the wine before he gave it to the king to make sure it wasn't poison. Now some of you think that's not a bad job. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, you know, so he, you know, uh, they're, they're still in captivity, but some Jews come up from Jerusalem and meet with Nehemiah. And, you know, Nehemiah is concerned. He said, tell me about Jerusalem. What's it look like? And they're like, you know, Nehemiah's not good. I mean, he said, you just wouldn't believe it, you know. And they didn't have email or, or texting or, you know, telephones like we have today. I mean, if you wanted to get word, it had to come from, you know, someone walking, a courier or a runner, someone bringing a message from 500 miles away or 1,000 miles away, you know, to get the word of what's going on. And they just said, it's bad. It's bleak. The walls have been torn down. The walls were the walls around the city for the protection of the city. He said, all the gates have been burned down. There's no way to keep people from coming in and out of the city. And when Nehemiah heard that, it broke his heart. And it was just like, God, you've got to do something. You, you, you've got to do something. This is a work of God that is the burden on my heart, is what Nehemiah is saying. And he's like, God, you've got to do something. And so Nehemiah gets the courage after a time of prayer. He goes to the king, and he was brokenhearted about the situation. And the king says to him, he says, I can tell this is nothing but sadness of heart. Tell me what's going on. Have you ever been in a restaurant or you've seen someone that walking down the street? You know, you can just tell, you can look at their face and you can just tell that there's a brokenness on their face. There's a weeping. They've been going through, I mean, they're stressed out to the max. And that's the way Nehemiah was before the king. 
And the king says, there, this can be nothing but sadness of heart. Tell me what's going on. And so Nehemiah tells the story, and the king says, I tell you what, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you everything that you need. Go back and fix you know, what needs to be fixed. And so we pick up in chapter 5, and in chapter 5, Nehemiah has come to the city, and um, it just talks about him. Uh, you know, just all, just all of the debris, the rubble. You know, if you can imagine some of the, the towns, that, you know, like, uh, you know, photos that we've seen, those of you that have seen some of the World War II movies, these towns that were buildings that were just totally crumbled and, you know, no, just one or two walls standing. That's the way that Jerusalem looked at this time. And so it says, and so Nehemiah goes back and tells them, I've got a plan, we're going to fix this. And we pick up in chapter 5. It says, And the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, We and our sons and our daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to uh, get grain during this time of famine. I mean, it's not, not only are things bad there, but it's a famine time as well. And still others were saying, we have to borrow money to pay the king's taxes on our fields and vineyards. Although we're the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are just as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and our daughters to slavery. That's what happened. If you couldn't pay your bills, you had to sell either yourself or your family into slavery for a period of time. And so the big argument here. The big, you know, the, the big contention that's going on here is over money. I mean, they are fighting one another over money. And uh, we'll come back and just kind of recover this. Let me just kind of read through the whole chapter, and we'll come back and break it apart. And Nehemiah just says that when I heard their outcry and these charges, I became angry, and I pondered them in my mind. And then I accused the nobles and the officials. These were like the the rich people and the political leaders in the community. And I told them, you are charging your own people interest. And by the way, the scripture says, the Old Testament law says it was not right, it was illegal, it was a sin for a Jew to charge another Jew interest on money. They could charge Gentiles interest, but they couldn't charge Jews interest on the money. He says, you're charging your own people interest. So I called them together with a, for a large meeting to deal with them and said, as, as far as possible, we have brought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles, talking about those that had been in Babylon and have now come back. And now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us? And they kept quiet because they couldn't find nothing to say. So I continued, what you're doing is not right. I want you to just think about it for a second. What they were doing was not right. And someone, Nehemiah at this point, gets in their face and says, what you're doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the approach of the Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. Give them back immediately their fields and their vineyards and their olive groves and their houses. Also the interest that you're charging them. One percent of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. And they responded by saying, we will give it back. 
And we will not demand anything more from them. And we will do as you say. And then I summoned the priest and made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they had promised. And I shook out the fold of my robe, uh, or my he had like an apron on, and said, in this way, may God shake out of their houses and possessions anyone that does not keep this promise. And God, what Nehemiah is saying is, you know what? You made a promise, and if you don't keep this promise, there's going to be a curse on you. There's going to be a curse on you for not. And he said, you know, I'm shaking out the grain. I'm, I'm, I'm getting this out of my apron. And may God shake you out if you don't listen to this word. And they all agreed. And so we pick up in, uh, in verse, um, in the middle of 13, it said, So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be the governor of the land of Judah, until the 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate food allotted to the governor. What that simply means is they were, they, the, he was receiving a, a, an allotment. He was receiving both food and money. Um, you know, the scripture talks about not muzzling the ox that treads out the corn. Paul, you know, talks about that, how the laborer is worthy of his hire. And Nehemiah is saying, even though I was entitled to receive this, I saw that the people were so, so heavenly burdened that I just wouldn't take it. I, I wouldn't take that. And so, verse 15, it says, But the earlier governors and those preceding me placed heavy burdens on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to the food and the wine. And their assistants also lorded over the people, but out of reverence for God. I did not act like that. What he's saying, I, had to, I was entitled to. I could have done that, but out of reverence to God. I wanted to do God's work first. I wasn't concerned about making a, a great living for myself or acquiring great wealth for myself. I was, what my concern was, what was forefront in my mind, was doing God's work. And I just want to pause there for just a second. Is that in the forefront of your mind this morning? Is doing God's work in the forefront? Of your mind. Let me finish the rest of the chapter. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on the wall, and all of my men assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, not only did we not take, but he says, furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table, as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nation. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, some poultry were prepared for me, and every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds. In spite of all of this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. Remember me with favor, my God, for all that I have done for these people. So what Nehemiah is saying is that even though I had a right to do that, to take this allotment, he said, I didn't do it. He says, as a matter of fact, not only did I not take the allotment, he says, but I gave. I had a generous heart, and I was able to give. Now, remember, he said that the land was in a famine. It was in a dearth. It was in a difficult time. But it sounded like Nehemiah had an abundance. It sounded like he had plenty. And, you know, these are some of the principles that I want us to look at today. We just saw the, uh, the movie uh, uh, Unbroken. How many of you have seen that movie? Oh, a good movie. 
If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's a really good movie. But uh, in the movie, there, there are, are three men that survive a plane crash, and they're floating around the ocean, and uh, one of them eventually dies. I mean, it's an incredible story about just, you know, just the endurance of this, this, these guys go through. But I was thinking about that in conjunction with this message today. If you and your wife were in a life raft, now I'm not going to use your wife because, <laughs> all right, all right, all right, or your husband, uh, but if, if you and, let's say, your son were in a life raft out in the middle of the ocean, and all of a sudden you saw someone, you know, that was going under, they were sinking, they were drowning, and you had an opportunity to save that person, would you throw your son, your three- or four-year-old son, over the raft to his demise in order to save another drowning person? That kid said, no. <laughs> don't, don't do it, Dad. Don't do it. You know, most of us wouldn't. Because we don't possess that same kind of love that God has. That it's called agape love. That unconditional love. And when God saw us drowning, he threw his son in the ocean so that you could get in the raft and you could be saved. And despite that, despite that salvation that we have today, that you and I have today, many of you still feel like you're going under. You still feel like you're drowning, and you feel like you're drowning in debt, and many of you are. And I just want to tell you that there's a way out, just like salvation, there is a way out of the problems that you face today, all right? But you've got to, what we say Proverbs says, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom. That means they won't listen to the Word of God. Now, I'm I'm not calling you a fool. I've, I, I've been there. I've done, I've done it myself. I've been in that place where I know what the Word of God says and have done just the opposite of what God's Word says. We've all done it. It's called sin. So let me just give you, uh, if I could just quickly, I want to run through this. In America today, there are, how many, how many million people live here in America? How many? Ten men? Three hundred. Okay, and ten. All right, it's a lot of people. All right, it says there. These are these are recent statistics. One point three billion credit cards in America. How many are out there? The average household has thirteen credit cards. America uh, makes over one point five trillion dollars worth of credit purchases annually. 1.5 trillion credit card purchases annually. The typical credit card purchase is 112% higher than if you were using cash. Over 40% of U.S. families spend more, 40% spend more than they, they make. On the average, Americans have $8,400 in credit card debt. And if you were to make a 2% payment every month, at an annual rate of, say, I don't know what they are right now, say 10%, maybe 11 or 12 and some of the higher interest, it would take you 30 years to pay off that debt, making a 2% payment every month. It would take you 30 years to pay off an $8,400 debt, 
and in the meantime, you will have paid $13,000 in interest. The average household pays about $950 in interest each year, about 18% of all U.S. personnel uh, expenditures are made on, a, a, it's called a PCE, personal consumption uh, expenditures are made on bank credit cards. If retail cards and debit cards are included, the figure rises to 24%. 96% of all Americans will be financially dependent on the government, family, or charity at retirement. That's a scary number. 96% of all Americans will be financially dependent on government, family, or charity at retirement. Almost one in every 100 households in the United States will go bankrupt this year. And according to the National Association of Realtors, the average homeowner stays in his home for seven, just a little over seven years, with a, if you said a 6% mortgage, uh, he will sell his, uh, in, at the end of seven years, he will sell his home, still owing over 90% on his mortgage. If he were to continue this trend, and that is, you know, keeping a house for seven years, paying that same interest rate and selling every seven years, he will never pay off that house in his lifetime, never. And only 2% of homeowners in America own their own home that's paid for in cash. On the average, Americans can expect to receive about 37% of the amount that they will need to live comfortably from their re retirement plans. And nearly half of all Americans have less than $10,000 saved for retirement. 39% of all Americans are anxious about their ability to achieve their desired uh, goals for and retirement lifestyle. The Bible says, and here's where it's just going to all kind of blend together, if we listen, if we'll listen to what the Word of God says. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. What does that mean? The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to, to the lender. You know, some of you have heard this expression. I started out with nothing, and I have most of it left. <laughs> and some of you are feeling that way today. You know, in, in the book of Nehemiah, and I'm going to go into further depth, but I just want you to just think about it. They were called to do the work on the wall. But they're complaining to Nehemiah, and they said, look, I mean, we, we're, we're living, we can't even feed our kids. We're having to sell our kids. We've had to mortgage our homes and our vineyards. We've had to mortgage our fields just to buy grain, just to eat. And, uh, you know, so it's preventing them. You know, I know right away when a pastor starts talking about tithing, you know, that some, some of the church members will think, oh gosh, he needs money. Well, believe me, I don't need your money. And God doesn't need your money. You know, tithing is not about money. Tithing really is about trust. Do you trust God? Are you, are you able to trust in God? Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in plastic? Are you trusting in the bank? Are you in, uh, trusting in your 401k? Or maybe your, it's a now 201k. You know, are, are you trusting in something else other than God? And if you're so focused on that, are you like, not like the people in Nehemiah that you can't do the work of God? That you're not here by accident. The, the Bible says that, God says, before you were even in your mother's womb, I knew you. I had a plan. I had a call. I had a purpose for your life. You know, he says, you know, in, in Psalms it says that, you know, that you were, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. When you were being knit together in your mother's womb, God says, I was there. He says, 
you know, all the days of your life were written in my book before one of your days ever came to pass. God said, I had a plan and a purpose for your life. And before you were even born, I, you know, I had a plan for you. I had a purpose for you. You're not just an accident sitting here, you know, sitting listening to a sermon this morning. You know, God has a plan and a purpose for you. But if you are so caught up in debt, if you are so bound by debt, you know, that you, you, you just can't stop working. It's like, you know, I am going to go under. If I don't keep this up, if I don't, you know, uh, you know, work extra hours, if I don't do some overtime on Sunday, if I don't miss church, or if I don't miss these Bible studies so I can work, 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 I owe, I owe, I owe, so it's off to work I go. You know, I just believe that God's got a better plan for you than this. Are you with me? All right. So, you know, the, the big issue... I think when I when I got saved, you know, some forty years ago, um, the big issue in the church was divorce, and it was divorce because of unfaithfulness on one part or the other. But what has risen above that and now become the number one reason for divorce in the church is money. They, you know. We fight over money. People are fighting over money. The, the Jews there were fighting with their fellow Jews over money. Um, we, you know, we used to say in our marriage vows, well, we still say it, but it could be replaced not until death do us part, but until debt do us part. They had a shortage of just the basic human needs, just for food. They didn't have that. And just to eat, they had to sell their, the necessities of life, the basic things that they needed for life. Now they're borrowing money. They have to borrow money on their property just to pay their taxes. I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but several years ago, probably it's probably been five or six years ago, the IRS now accepts, accepts a Visa and Master Charge. So you can borrow from Visa and Master Charge to pay your, your taxes. That's exactly what was happening, happening to them. Their children were being sold into slavery. Their future was being mortgaged away. You think about the debt that we are, America, you know, um, our nation is spending more than we bring in. That's why we become, we used to be the, the greatest lending nation in the world. And now we rank probably 10 or 11 or 12. We owe China money, Russia money, Japan money, Germany money. I mean, just about all of the Mideast countries that have oil, we owe them money. And that money, that bill is going to come due someday. Maybe not in your lifetime, but maybe it'll happen in the lifetime of your children. And those people are going to want to be paid. And I think it is seriously wrong for us to burden our children and our grandchildren with debt that they didn't even ask for. And we're just dumping it on them. So, there was, in, in this passage of Scripture, just think about it for a second. Uh, there was a lot of grumbling. There was a lot of complaining. Uh, there was murmuring. There was pointing the finger. There was accusation. And it was all about money. And when people are in financial bondage, it greatly limits both their happiness and what they can accomplish in their life. 
if you're, if you're drowning in debt, I mean, it takes away your joy. I mean, you're constantly thinking about, you know, am I going to be able to pay this debt? Let me give you several symptoms of financial bondage. See if you fit into any of these. We're talking about financial bondage. Having to charge the necessities of life. Do you use your credit card to buy groceries or gasoline or clothes knowing that at the end of the month you won't be able to pay it off? Are you borrowing money to pay fixed expenses? We're talking about house payment or rent or phone or cable or car payments. Are you borrowing money to do that? Are creditors writing and calling you for, the, for their money? You know, it's once been said that if there's somebody in your life you never want to see again, just loan them some money. They'll never show up. Are you tempted to be dishonest about money? Do you, do you try to talk your way out of bills, thinking about cheating on your taxes, tempted to do something dishonest or unethical? Do you ever say, I can't afford to tithe? Do you bring the Lord's tithe? That, the, tithe the word tithe means 10%. Do you bring the full tithe in to the Lord's house on the Lord's day so that the Lord's work can be done in the Lord's way? Do you and your spouse ever argue about money? Theirs was a perfect marriage except for a fatal flaw. One was quick on the deposit, but the other was quicker on the draw. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. If you're not talking to your wife or your husband about your financial needs, are you talking about this together? Do you know how much you really owe? You know, most people don't want to know how much they owe. It scares them. They won't sit down and just kind of like, you know, uh, I, I remember Nina's dad uh, many years ago, uh, after I became a new believer, we bought a house, and, and I, you know, I was just like, I was probably like Nehemiah. He's like, you know, dude, what's going on with you? I can see it on your face. and Like, I'm worried about money. You know, it's like, where am I going to get this money? And, you know, he said, you know, just, he said, I encourage you, just take a, you know, a tablet and a, and a pencil and just start writing down all the debt that you owe and add it up. And, you know, he said that uh, at that time he was telling me, he just said, you know, it won't, it won't look that bad. It's not that bad. It's not insurmountable. It's not impossible because we know that nothing is impossible with God. How many of you have ever made some financial mistakes in your life? Just raise your hand. Okay. I mean, all of us have. I mean, we've all done stupid things. And we, we, you know, I, I have. I bought, you know, I, that, you know that saying, you know, we buy things that we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people that we don't know. You know, I mean, we all do that. Yeah, I mean, and we go through seasons of it. It's like, you know, you lose your mind. It's like, I, yes, I love that car. Oh, it's black and shiny and fast. <laughs> then the payments start coming. The scripture says, we're talking about just kind of knowing how much you owe. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks. This is what the word of God says. These are still some of those godly principles. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and look well to your herds. Uh, you know, you can't just stick your head in the sand and forget it and think that it's all going to go away or, you know, that it's just going to pass by you. Do you know what it takes for you to survive every week? If you added up all your expenses for a month and you divided that by the four weeks or 4.3 days in a month, uh, what, do you have enough? Do you have enough coming in? to make ends meet? Or do you have more month at the end of the money? You know, many times we do. The Bible tells us, you know, honor the Lord, this is in Proverbs chapter 3, 
And all of you know Proverbs chapter 3, 5, and 6. I'm guessing all of you know that. You know, what's it say? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. But then you just drop down just a couple more verses. And then it says, here comes some financial principles, okay? How do I get saved? I accept Jesus into my life. How do I get out of this financial mess? I start listening to God's word. And God's word says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Okay? And I hear people say, I mean, it's just like, I'm tithing my time. You're tithing your time? Really? Or, or I'm, I'm tithing a fifth. Well, you may be giving a fifth of your income, but that's not a tithe. The word tithe means a tenth. It means a tenth off the top. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your crops. All right, then, then, let me read it again. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your crops. Then your barn, guys, I'm, I, believe me, I know this is hard. I know it's hard to get it. And I know when you put it on paper and it just like, it's like, man, it just doesn't add up. Ron, it's not going to work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work on paper. You know, I, I believe I was in that spot. And in my business, in my real estate business, I got my real estate license in 1977. Finances fell through. We couldn't get the money. And so, you know what? At that point, I'm a believer. I'm a young believer. But I wasn't really attending church. We were going to a home fellowship group that Nina's dad led. Nick, and um, Nick, I mean, I love that man with all of my heart, you know, he's a great man, but he had about four things that he talked about, and believe me, tithing was not one of them. So I didn't really know about tithing. I know, I didn't know anything at all about tithing. And so God and I, at this point, God and I are having a serious, serious conversation, because I'm mad at God, you know, that this deal just fell through, the one that I was counting on. And you know, when you're counting on it, you know what that means? That means you've got bills that you've got to pay, and you're counting on that money to come in. And so when it didn't come in, you know, I, I'm just like, I'm just letting God have both barrels. It's just like, God, why? Why? I mean, how, can I, how is it that I can get so close every time and these deals fall apart? Now, listen, I asked God an honest question, and all of a sudden, God begins to speak. And you know what he said? He says, Ron, it's because... You want to know why these deals fall through? He says, because you don't honor me. You don't, what we say right here, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crops. God said, you don't honor me with tithes and offerings. Every penny you make is your money. And you spend it however you want. And you could care less about me or kingdom work. Well, that took the wind out of my sails. But I thought, you know what? I asked an honest question, and God gave me an honest, truthful answer. And as soon as he said that, I knew, I knew that I was going to start being a tither. I would become a tither. And I actually said, God, I said, God, I, you know, I don't know a lot about heaven, except I want to be there, but uh, just not today. Uh, <laughs> But I said, if you've got a pen in heaven, I said, you just write it down. From this day forward, from this day forward, I will tithe. And I have kept my word on that. And that was 
you know, like I said, 1977 is actually probably in the 